Hello, everyone. We are here. We are ready to go. New Hope Radio, live edition as we kind of wrap up the week. Thank you for spending time with us this week as we study God's Word. Is there anything better we can do? And whether you do it during the live broadcast on the radio, 1590 AM, 92.7 FM, or you're live with us on Facebook and YouTube, or you catch up with it later on the Hope Club podcast. And you can catch that podcast anywhere. Good podcasts I held, okay? And we'd like to make the Word of God on demand anytime. All right? So thank you for being part of our program. Something we're going to talk about today that we probably always hear about, and sometimes it's such a cliche, it can become kind of like bothersome. But it's still true. And you know what that is? That God has a plan. And I want you to see the fact that God has a plan, not as a cliche, not as something you say when things aren't good. Oh, God's got a plan. No, but I want you to know that He's God. And God, He knows everything ahead of time. And He knows what He's going to do ahead of time. So, therefore, He has a plan. Doreen's checking in. Blessing, blessings to all listening today. Yes, I double those blessings, Doreen. Let's try to take this message very personally today. I love to use the scriptures and say, see what's happening in the Bible? That's to teach you about your own life. We learn the Word of God so we can learn about ourselves. We're going to take a look at a man named King Saul. King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. People wanted a king. God did, God's like, no, man, you don't need a king. You got me. We're like, no, we want a king like all other nations. So God said, okay, I'll give you a king. Turned out Saul wasn't a very good king. They picked the guy that looked like a king. <laughs> like, what does a king look like? I don't know. But they figured, he looks like a king. He's taller than everybody. He's bigger than everybody. He's good-looking guy. He's the king. Let's make him the king. Well, Saul proved that if you get away from a personal relationship with God, your whole temperament can change for the worse. Did you hear that? Paul proved that if you get away from your personal relationship with God, your whole temperament can change for the worse. And this negative change can result, uh uh-oh, in the disqualification of a position of leadership. You can be disqualified. We're going to take a look at Saul and the three mistakes that he made. Number one, he made a terrible decision in 1 Samuel 13, you know what he did? He offered a burnt offering to God. But wait a minute, without waiting for Samuel. See, the prophet could do it, but not the king. Saul was outside of his job description. It wasn't his place to offer an offering. He was supposed to wait for Samuel. But no, he was impulsive. He couldn't wait. You think impulsiveness gets us in trouble? 
I think it can. Of course it can. Secondly, in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 14, he pronounced a death sentence upon his son. That's no good. Why'd you go and do that, Saul? Big mistake. And then thirdly, in 1 Samuel 15, three chapters in a row, he openly disobeyed God by keeping some of the spoils of battle. See, he went to war, and God said, I want you to destroy everything. Keep nothing for yourself. Nothing. But no, he took back some of the livestock and things, and and he and God said, why'd you disobey me? Why'd you take back that stuff? And Saul said, because they look good. They look, they look good. I like them. They look good. But he was disobedient. He went by the lust of the eyes instead of obedience to God. Saul became more image conscious than sin conscious. And you know what it did? It disqualified him from the throne. God's like, okay, that's it. This guy's done. I am done with Saul. Saul is not fit to lead the people of Israel. Janine just said good afternoon. She's on board with us today. So here's a true-to-life principle. Because Samuel knew Saul could no longer be king. But Samuel's like, oh, no. Now what? Now who? Now when? Now where? Samuel's like, what do I do? But here's what he's going to learn. Man panics. God provides. Is that a lesson you've learned yet? Man panics. God provides. Maybe that's the lesson for today in our nice, simple message. Here's what we want. Man panics. God provides. So, therefore, we never want to forget that God has a plan. God always knows what he's going to do. He doesn't make it up as he goes along. He always knows what he's going to do. Even before there was sin in the world... God had a plan for salvation. Sin didn't exist. Man didn't exist. The world didn't exist. And yet in Revelation 13, 3, the Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. In other words, before the world even came into existence, God knew that a Savior, a Messiah, would be required. And it was His own Son, the Lord Jesus, who would be that Savior. Janine said, when we trust in the Lord, we worry less. That's true. (laughs) I guess we have a choice, right? You want to worry or you want to trust? Worry is like, worry can do two things to you. It's funny. And it can make you not eat or it can make you eat the wrong stuff. Trust kind of keeps you on that straight and narrow. Doreen said, we miss out on so many blessings when we get ahead of God's plans. Yeah, you don't want to get ahead of of God. So here's the Lord, right? Jesus is the he's the lamb slain from the from before the creation of the world. God always had a plan that the savior would come. So that just settled issues. So though Saul had disqualified himself from his position as king, God knew what he was going to do. He already had a man in mind. Young David. God already knew. See, here's the great thing about God. 
When a man or woman of God fails, nothing of God fails. When someone dies, nothing of God dies. When our lives are altered by the unexpected, nothing of God is altered. You see? Because God knows who he is. God knows what he's doing. Because God has a plan. We can't frustrate the plan of God. So now we get to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, in verse 1. Samuel had not yet realized this about God. What? That God had a plan. Samuel was the prophet. It's his job to go around and anoint kings. Samuel said, or God said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? See, Samuel doesn't know what God's plan is yet. He said, Fill your horn with oil and go. And I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. So Samuel said, how can I go? Oh, and Saul hears of it. He'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. God didn't even answer Samuel's concerns. He didn't say, well, listen, go tell Saul this. Or go tell Saul that. He said, Samuel, fill your horn, go get a cow, and go to Jesse. That was it. Sometimes God doesn't entertain our petty fears. You know why? He expects us to trust him. He just told Samuel what to do. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Bring the cow. You're going to sacrifice the cow. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I'll show you what to do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So God is saying to Samuel, the prophet, you're going to go have a sacrifice, big barbecue, invite Jesse. He's going to bring all the kids out. And I'm going to tell you which one is going to be the next king. Verse 4, Samuel did it. And I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about it, but he did it anyway. You know, the things that we do for God, we don't always have to be like, thrilled about doing those things. Like, we're not thrilled about denying ourselves. We're not thrilled sometimes about going the extra mile. We're not thrilled about picking up our cross, but we do it. We do it out of obedience. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came, and they were trembling. <laughs> and they said to Samuel, Do you come in peace? I guess... When a prophet came to town, it meant there was a problem. Where there's a prophet, there's a problem. So the people are like, oh no, what's the problem? Here comes the prophet. Samuel, did you come in peace? Did you come to pronounce a judgment? Why are you here? See, so Samuel, the great thing about Samuel, he was obedient to God. So doing God's will doesn't require agreement, just obedience. And this is how we live in faith toward God. And you know, I see an up-and-coming sin in the church today. And it's not the old sin of adultery or stealing or gossiping. Those sins have been around, unfortunately, for a long time in the church. But there's a new one that I'm noticing more and more. And you know what the new sin is? That people follow only until they disagree. But that's not following. People will follow, they'll go along, 
But if they disagree, they stop going along. There's another up-and-coming sin in the church, and it's this. If you're ever going to be a good leader, you've got to be a good follower. And there are people that are not good followers, so they'll never be good leaders. Don't think that you can be a good leader if you've never been groomed to be a good follower. You've got to be groomed to be a follower before you can be a leader. Okay? So, we're going to see that worked out in David's life time and time and time again. His whole life, up until he was anointed king, he learned to be a good follower. And what did he follow? The leading of God. See, God gives us promises to help us through. And this promise in Jeremiah 29, 11, a lot of people use it. They get familiar with it. It was meant for the Jews, but I think in principle we can find comfort. Where God said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Now again, all these Old Testament promises are for Israel. But in principle... They can apply to us. And they're to give us hope and confidence in God. That God cares for us. That God loves us. That God wants the best for us. And that God has a plan that he wants to unfold in our lives. And sometimes we might not see it. We might not even agree with it. But it's God's plan. So the best thing to do is to abide in it. So Samuel went to Jesse for a roll call of his sons to see who would be the next king of Israel. And they all came through. But God hadn't chosen any of those that Jesse brought. So Samuel's finally getting it. God does not look upon the face like man does, but God looks upon the heart. So Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your boys? He said, well, there's one, but he's the youngest one, and he's out tending the sheep. I don't think you want him to qualify for a king. He's just a kid. He's a teenager. He's out there watching the sheep. You know what Samuel said to Jesse? Go get him. <laughs> Go get him and bring him here. We will not sit down until he comes here. We're not going to eat until he comes. Samuel now has the proper perspective. What does it matter what he does? What does it matter how old he is? If God picked him, God picked him. So go get him. See, God looks at people differently than we look at people. God looks at circumstances differently than how sometimes we look at circumstances. That's why he says to give double honor to those members of the body that are more less honorable or ordinary. God sees them as worthy of double honor. I like what Chuck Swindoll said one time. He said, to see beyond someone's age or the size or their size or their level of intelligence, to see worth and value down deep inside, oh, that's the kind of vision that Samuel, with God's help, finally demonstrates at this point. See, Samuel's going to look inside of David. And you know what happened? David is chosen. So Jesse sent and brought him in. He was ruddy. That means he was a redhead. 
He had beautiful eyes. He was a good-looking, handsome kid. And the Lord said, Samuel, arise. Anoint him. This is he. This is the one. All those other brothers came through me, and I saw nothing in them. But this kid, this kid's got it. This is the one I want. So what did David do after he was chosen king? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't go downtown and try on crowns. <laughs> you know what he did? He went back to taking care of the sheep. I'm going to be the next king of Israel. Yes, you are. Okay. Where are you going now? I'm going back to work. He was so humble that when Saul got sick, now remember Saul's still king. David's anointed to be the next king. Saul gets sick. He sent for David to play his harp for him so he'd feel better. Everybody knew David was a good musician. And he'd send for David. And David would go back and forth, back and forth. He'd go to the king, he'd go to the sheep. He'd go to the castle, he'd go to the fields. Back and forth. What was God doing? Teaching him humility. Oh, you want to be promoted in life? Learn humility. He went back and forth between the king's court and the pasture where the sheep were. What was David's secret? How is it that David, being anointed the next king, could do this and not jump at the opportunity? Because he knew what it was to wait on God. See, when God has a plan, that doesn't mean the plan's going to unfold right now. God's plan. Hey, if Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, how many thousands or millions of billions of years passed between Jesus being chosen as the Savior and then the day he came. So though it wasn't right away, he knew when it was time, God would make him king. And David also knew he had some pruning that had to be done in his life. He had to be prepared to be a king. You know, a king had, takes with it a lot of responsibility and a lot of authority. And authority can be used in a really bad way. So therefore, David had to be tempered so he would not use authority improperly. And he never used his authority, here it comes, for himself. David had to learn peace, strength through peace. Yes, I'm going to be strong, but I'm going to try to be a man of peace. And he understood the principle of waiting because he read the Old Testament. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 40, verse 31, not that this was written at that time. <laughs> I don't know if it was. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run. And they won't get tired. They will walk. And they will not become weary. David, to be a good king, had to understand what it means to be humble, what it means to wait, what it means to listen to God. Three lessons we're going to end with in David's life. Maybe three lessons that we can learn for ourselves that we saw David do or he will do in his life. Okay, number one, be open. God's solutions are often strange, yet simple. Be open. 
You know, Samuel had to be open. Samuel, he had to be open to go to Bethlehem in spite of being afraid of Saul. He had to be open to, okay, these seven sons, they didn't make it. There's got to be another one. Jesse, you got another one? Oh, yeah, he's out in the fields. Go get him. They brought him. He was the one. We often ask questions and try to figure out God when God says, just go where I tell you, do what I say, and trust me. See, God's not always going to give the reason up front. Because if he gives the reason then there's no place for faith. So sometimes he's like, I want you to do this because I want you to act in faith. I want you to trust me. So people are always looking for reasons. They're always looking for answers. And it stops them from going forward. No, go forward. And the answers will come later. They'll come later. We must remember that God's word is always there to direct our path. It's always there. You don't need a reason to follow God. You just need to be obedient and you'll find the reason later. Whatever he tells you to do. Just be obedient to the word of God. Secondly, be ready. Be ready. God's promotions can be sudden and surprising. Now with David... He was promoted on paper, but his appointment didn't come for years later. But this is why if God's going to promote you, you should never, ever quit on God. No, don't do that. He'll come through when you least expect it. When you've exhausted all of your resources, God is ready to reveal his Maybe that's what he waits for us to do sometimes. Okay, we're out of ideas. We're out of schemes. We're out of everything. God says, here. Now listen to me. And I want you to do this. Doreen says, yeah, trust and obey. Isn't that the Christian life? Trust and obey. Faith pleases God. You want to be pleasing to God? Live in faith. Trust God's word. Do what it says. The blessing will follow you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians one twenty five, uh, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. <laughs> God on his worst day is better than man on his best day. The weakness of God is stronger than men. It's true. Man can't compete with God. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, 1 Corinthians 12, 9. I'd rather than boast about my weakness. I've got weaknesses. Okay. Why? That the power of Christ may dwell in me. He says, i got weaknesses, but in that place of weakness, oh, Jesus is strong. Jesus makes me strong. He knew where his strength came from. It came from Christ. Who was weaker than Moses, surrounded by mountains, water in front, Egyptians behind? God got him through. Who was weaker than Gideon? Took his army into battle, outnumbered. No way! They won the battle. Let's trust and obey. Thirdly, the third lesson we can learn, be sensitive. God's selections are always sure. God knows who he's going to choose, who he's going to use, and how he's going to use them. 
be sensitive. If you're not sensitive to God, how will you hear his calling? So you want to keep your heart right. So you can be in tune with God. God has a timetable. God has a plan. And God makes choices. Psalm 68.20 says, God is to us a God of deliverances. Oh, I like that. He's a God of deliverances. And to God, the Lord belong to God the Lord belong escapes from death. God is the escape artist, and he'll help you. It's so easy to forget that when the negative thing is looming, that God is still working. Let me give you an illustration. 1809 was a very good year. But those who were alive then didn't, th- didn't, didn't know that it was a good year. Why? Napoleon was making his march across Austria, conquering everything in his path. People feared that the whole world would fall into his hands. During that time, though, babies were being born. You know who was being born? William Gladstone, Alfred Tennyson, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Edgar Allan Poe, Abraham Lincoln. The lives of these statesmen and these writers and thinkers would mark the beginning of an era. But nobody cared about those nobodies while Napoleon was on the march. And the strange thing is that today, only history buffs could name one battle that Napoleon fought in Austria. But there's not a life of a person alive today that has not been touched in some way by the lives of those men. Think about it. So when the negative is looming, the positive is booming. The positive is beginning to come to fruition. It's so easy to focus on the souls of life and forget that God always has a plan. Don't focus on the souls of life. Focus on God. He always knows what he's going to do. His plans are formulated before the creation of the world. And you know what? We are part of that plan. You are part of that plan. And no matter how bad the world gets, God's plan will always be victorious. Thank you for coming along today. Don't forget, join the Hope Club. Go to newhopecc.tv. Click on the giving button. Go down to the radio. Fill out the info. We'll send you a devotional every day. We love the Hope Clubbers. They keep us on the air. $3 a week keeps us on the air. Listen, you have a great weekend. We'll see you next week for more of New Hope Radio.